program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom though thy getting get an understanding again work up to the program this evening with your host brother Elliot and brother Richard the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming live at abb2me.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I forward slash time for an awakening. And you, they stream out of Ghana. You should see hear the live stream playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn Radio is a free app. In the TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon. You can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an Awakening Radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening Radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awe- uh, Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the bb Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 8.07 here in this Friday edition of Time for an Awakening, February 24th edition of time for an awakening and we're in freestyle friday anything that's on your mind you can give us a call we'll talk about it uh later on in the program probably in the eight o'clock hour we'll be joined by brother patrick lumumba 
uh, from down there, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, to give us an update on the Mallory's and Colorado, what has been going on up there, and plus other things going on in Mississippi, some of the southern areas, or to give the listening audience an update on some of the things going on. And that probably be in around 8 o'clock hour sometime. Until then, we'll be in open forum. Uh, me and Richard will throw out some things for discussion. And uh, and then we'll move forward. But we'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History 
is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, it's 8.13 on this Friday edition, the February 24th Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. We're in Freestyle Friday mode. And before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour-guided African-American Museum here in Philadelphia, 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. As we're moving towards the closing of uh, the technical, you know, um, um, aspect of, of this thing, you know, Black History Month, um, it's... Uh, I, I hear it's a lot of things um, being developed as far as what we have to do to continue, the, you know, what they say, black history is 365 days a year, um, using history as a, um, a means or tools for strategic analysis, you know, and um, I just, if I, if I may, I just wanted to start off um, this um, open forum session. It just hit me to um, share um, what one of, what one of the ancestors that I think centered is, is so interesting. Um, you know, I do tours for, um, Eden Cemetery and you know that, um, in Philadelphia, um, a couple of years ago, I think it was just before the pandemic, um, they found, um, Mother Bethel burial, you know, not they found, they identify that, um, the burial site for that belonged to Mother, um, Mother Bethel Church, its burial ground. And one of the items, um, one of the um, artifacts that came out of that um, comes from a sister, Amelia Brown. And uh, it's a message on her stone, which in her passing over in 1819. And I think this is so apropos for us in this open forum and, and in this Black History Month, was she the message that she left um, for us. And, and, and this is it, which is like really prophetic. Whoever live and believeth in me, though we be dead, yet shall we live. <laughs> to me, you know, when I read that, Elliot, that like spoke from the past to the now. I don't know if, if, if that registers with you or others, but whoever live and believeth in me, though we be dead, Yet we shall live. We shall live. I mean, isn't that what memory and history is all about? <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's a. Uh, I, I like the way you put that initial uh, uh, perspective on it, Richard, when you said the strategic analysis. Mm -hmm. Because that's what history is supposed to be about, and especially in our state, 
in our situation here in this country. We have to use it as a, a strategic, strategic analysis to know and plan our moves moving forward by looking back and seeing the moves of our ancestors, the mistakes they made, so we know what to do moving forward. That, that's what you got to use history for, especially in our situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, yes, I agree. And it, and it gets, you know, it takes it out. Now, do you think those who, um, who, who brought us here as captives want us to use our history from that perspective? Or even what Sister Amelia said, place that as a part of, like, a part of a strategic analysis. Because then we would have to look at what was going on in 1819. What was going, you know what I mean? And and what were they doing? Not just, you know, um, these are the heroic, romantic individuals that uh, identify your history. But, yeah. And, and I think that some of us, I'm not saying a large percentage of us, because I don't, I don't think that's the case. But some of us are looking at it, like you said, like a romantic story of uh, of our ancestors and their adventures here in the United States or the, mm-hmm. the, the colonies at that time or the 13 uh, original states or whatever de- uh, stage of development you're looking at. You know, it's like the adventures of the Negro or mm-hmm. the colored people or Afro-Americans, whatever, like the stage of our developments, the adventures of these of our people here. It's not the adventures. It's what we've been dealing with, and we have to use these uh, experiences as, like you said, historical analysis, Richard. I agree totally. And, and speaking of that, Richard, you know, putting it in that framework, which was excellent as far as I'm concerned, that what you shared with me earlier this week, um, it kind of goes back to what we discussed Sunday when we were talking about uh, our people and um, during Reconstruction, we said that Europeans underestimated the resolve of black people. It's clear. And you mentioned that Du Bois said it in his writings that they underestimated what we would do in the movements that we made as a people in a short period of time. That's why they kind of put a halt to the quote-unquote reconstruction. They kind of underestimated the resolve of our people. And Mm -hmm. I had mentioned that I think our mistake was we underestimated the humanity of Europeans. Mm -hmm. And what you shared with me earlier this week, which led me to find some other pieces in reference to what you were saying. Uh, I I think it's excellent pieces for our listening audience to hear because it gives us a, a look into not only the past, but the mindset of our ancestors and the mindset of the people that we were dealing with because it hasn't changed the struggle Mm -hmm. that they were dealing with Richard. That struggle hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed is little cosmetic things, but the origins of what they were both dealing with, uh, the origin of what we were dealing with, and the origin of what people were putting upon us is basically the same. 
Richard, mm-hmm. that, that document, uh, and, and speaking directly about Wilmington in 1898, which was 125 years ago, when you're talking about time, that's not, that's right. not recent. But if you look at that document, Richard, did, I mean, did, did you have it in front of you? Now, um, that, that, uh, the, the document that, uh, the, the Europeans or the whites settlers or not, they weren't settlers at that time. That was a state. So they weren't settlers. The white declaration of independence. Yes. Do you, you had, do you have that in front of you? Cause I have it in front of me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you, yeah, you said, cause you, um, um, looked at it, I based off our conversation very intently and, and, and pulled out, you know, I thought was very important pieces to, to emphasize the point that you're making, the, the mindset, then and now. Um, and again, I just want to let the listening audience know that Brother Patrick Lumumba will be joining us probably in 8 o'clock hour sometime, probably after our first break, uh, to kind of give us an update on what's been going on in, up there in uh, El Paso County, Colorado, with the Mallory family and some other events that's happening in, in Mississippi. So uh, kind of stay with us until then. And you can always join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. You, Richard, let me, let me read some of this for our listening audience. And um, I would suggest that, that the audience, because you can go to the different websites and pull these documents up or put them in a Google search engine and you'll find them. Share them with your family. If you have little family sessions, family meetings, even with your direct family, or if you, if you have extended meetings with your extended family, share some of these things with them. And especially ones that lived in North Carolina, because Richard, you know, it might surprise you that when I posted this, information on the Time Awakening website. This was a couple of years ago in reference to what happened in Wilmington. I got several responses from people that lived in North Carolina that was totally unaware what happened in Wilmington. Yeah. And, and you know, Elliot, the, in the um, discussion, the um, book discussion that we were going in Wil- Wilmington Lies, I mean, the intensity of what went on um, is, you know, in, in that the you, you, the sophistication that whites did in order to, you know, some call it a coup, but to create the kind of devastation, it's, 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 um, it, it's, it's heart rendering, you know, um, and we do have to get strategic lessons out of that on both sides. What we did do, do and didn't do, and what they did and 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 continue to do. <laughs> Let me let me read some of this and share this with the listening audience. Again, I would advise listening audience to pull it down. Uh, just go to Google and search it out. The um, 1898 uh, White Declaration of Independence and read it and share it with your family. Start these discussion groups, similar to uh, what you're involved in, Richard, with that with the that book club, uh, because the strategic analysis and just an analysis alone of the mindset of both people and especially our people. We have to use these as teaching tools. That's one reason why they want to monitor uh, 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 what black people are learning in these public schools and and college campuses, although that shouldn't stop us at all because we have churches, temples, 
mosque, recreation centers in our neighborhood, even family gatherings where we can continue these discussions. We don't need to be dependent upon white institutions to be able to teach our experiences. And we shouldn't be doing that anyway. But let me let me share some of this. Uh, the 1898 White Declaration of Independence, printed in the Raleigh News Observer, November 10th, 1898. It says, believing that the Constitution of the United States contemplated a government to be carried out and by an enlightened people, believing its framers did not anticipate the enfranchisement of an ignorant population of African origin, and believing that the men of the state of North Carolina who joined in forming the Union did not contemplate for their descendants a subjection to an inferior race, we, the undersigned citizens of the city of Wilmington and the county of Hanover, do hereby declare that we will no longer be ruled and will never again be ruled by men of African origin. This condition we have in part endured because we felt that the consequences of the war of secession were such to deprive us of fair consideration of many of our countrymen. We believe that after 30 years, this is no longer the case. The stand we now pledge ourselves to is forced upon us suddenly by a crisis. In our eyes, are open to the fact that we must act now or leave our descendants to a fate too gloomy to be born. We realize the authority of the United States and the will, the will it has exerted would not for a moment believe that it is, it is a purpose of more than 60 million of our race to be subject permanently to a fate in which no Anglo-Saxon has ever been forced to submit. We therefore believing that we represent unequivocally the sentiment of white people in this country and city hereby for ourselves and represent them, we proclaim this. Number one, that the time has passed for the enlightened citizens of this community owning 95% of the property and paying taxes in like portion to be ruled by Negroes. Now, now wait a minute, Richard. Let me go back. Uh, I'm going to put a pen in this for a second. Uh, if you look back at Wilmington, you know, they put some lies in here. It said He said that they own 95% of all the property there and pay right. the same amount of taxes. And, right. plus, and plus he said... Uh, uh, 60 million of our race to be subject permanently to a fate that no Anglo-Saxon has been forced to submit. I don't, well, I guess they were trying to speak nationally when he said that. Yeah, well, at least, at, at least that they don't see nationally that they're in that, anybody else is in that condition. Because, I mean, it, 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 it 60 million white folks didn't live in North Carolina at that time. So when they no. were proclaiming this, they were proclaiming this for all white people. In fact, that's what they said. Right. Okay. Now, let me go back. Uh, let me read that again, because they gave one, two, three, four, seven conditions here, Richard, why 
they were planning what they were going to do. And keep in mind, uh, listeners, that they wrote this out and sent it to the black people in the town. So our ancestors was fully aware of what they were getting ready to deal with or potential to deal with. Let me go back, and I'll read that first condition again. That the time has passed for intelligent citizens of this community owning 95% of the property and paying taxes in like portion to be ruled by Negroes. Number two, that we will not tolerate the actions of unscrupulous uh, white men trying to affiliate with Negroes so that by means of their votes, they can dominate the intelligent and thrifty element in the community, thus causing businesses to stagnate and progress to be out of the question. And I would ask, Elliot, um, that people look into, if they're not already aware, the fusion party, which is, you know, um, or the, the, not just the Republican party, which black folks were in, but the fusion party specifically as it had the effect of that in that period of what those guys are talking about. Right. Okay. Number three, that the Negro has demonstrated by antagonizing our interests in every way. And especially by his ballot, that he is incapable of realizing that his interests are and should be identical with the, with those of the community. Now, Richard, let me read that again. Mm-hmm. That the Negro has demonstrated by antagonizing our interests in every way, especially with his ballot, that he is incapable of realizing that his interests should be identical with those of the community. If I may, Elliot. Go ahead. Go ahead. To antagonize them is saying, and I don't have no other way to say it, you Negroes using your ballot are thinking y'all like us. Is that what identical with those of the community? No, they said that it should be. Wait a minute. That he is incapable of realizing that his interests should be identical to those of the community. Meaning you should be thinking like us and you got the nerve to be trying to forge your own agenda. That's what he's saying. Mm. Okay. I'll go with that. Now, I'll read it again. Because I'm going to go, I'm going to move to number four. But number three is that the Negro has demonstrated by antagonizing our interests in every way, and especially with his ballot, that he is incapable of realizing that his interests should be identical with those of the community. Now, when he was talking about those of the community, he was talking about white residents. Okay, I got you. That's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number four, that the progressive element in any community is the white population. See, it, see, now that confirms it. Right. Number four, that the progressive element in any community is the white population, and that the giving of nearly all of the employment of the Negro laborers has been against the best interests of this country and city. And it is a sufficient reason why the city of Wilmington and its natural advantages has not become a city of at least 50,000 inhabitants. Number five, that we propose in the future to give the white men a large part of the employment heretofore given to Negroes 
because we realize that white families cannot thrive here unless there are more opportunities for different members of that said family. Mm. Number six, that white men expect to live in this community peaceably. We have to provide absolute protection for our families who shall be safe from insult from all persons whosoever. We are prepared to treat the Negroes with justice and consideration in all matters which do not involve sacrifices of the interests of intelligent, progressive portion of the community. But we are equally prepared now and immediately to enforce what we know to be our rights. Do you hear that, Richard? Yeah. You hear that? Yeah, equally (laughs) to enforce it. Now, let me read that again. Number six. We are prepared to treat the Negroes with justice and consideration in all matters that do not involve sacrifices of the interests of intelligent, progressive portions of the community. We'll treat you fair, but, you know, anything anything that don't involve us sacrificing anything. In fact, basically what it's saying is we'll determine what's fair to you. There you go. And that last sentence is, but we are equally prepared now and immediately to enforce what we know to be our rights. That's a threat. Seven, that we have been in our desire for harmony and peace, blinded to our best interests and our rights. A climax has reached when the Negro paper in this city published an article so vile and so slanderous that it would in most communities have resulted in lynching of the editor. We depreciate lynching and yet there is no punishment provided by the law adequate for this offense. We therefore owe it to the people in this community and of this city as a protection against such license in the future that the paper known as the record ceased to be published and that Mm. his editor be banished from this community. Again, another promise and threat, Richard. Mm -hmm. We demand that he leave the city within 24 hours after the issuance of this proclamation. Second, that the printing press from which the record has been issued be packed and shipped from the city without delay that we be notified within 12 hours of the acceptance or rejectance of these demands. If it is agreed to within 12 hours, we will counsel forbearance on part of all white men. If the demand is refused or if there is no answer given within the time mentioned, then the editor will be expelled by force. Number eight, in the sense of this meeting that the mayor, S.P. Wright, chief of police, R.J. Melton, having demonstrated their utter incapacity in, in, in to give the city a decent government and keep order therein, their continuance in office being a con- constant menace to the peace in this community, ought forthwith to resign. So, Here was eight points in the Declaration of White Independence, Richard, 
that mm-hmm. was a direct threat to our people in the city of Wilmington. And, and you know what, Elliot, um, something that you pointed out in this, right? They spoke in this for, you know, the fate of all Anglo-Saxons. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And you, you, and you, and you, you emphasize you know, for a point of clarity for me that they, they generally said this is for the 60 million who own, you know, of, of our own race. Right. But then when you get down to the, the four, five and six, you see that they're speaking specifically to the point that you're, raising of something that will happen only in Wilmington. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that, that's, you know, and, and, and which means that they're speaking to all of them who's seen, because this ain't for black folks. This is a declaration, a white declaration of independence. Mm-hmm. So they're speaking to all whites, but they're giving an example to them what you're supposed to be doing, what they're doing, going to do in Wilmington. Now, here's the mistake, Richard. And for our listening audience, their declaration contained a statement or a couple of statements on why they were writing this and then eight points in their white declaration of independence that they were they intended to enforce. Several of the points contain misinformation and lies. And all you got to do is look at the historical record and you can see that it was. But I'm not even dealing with that. They gave eight points and a statement on why they were, or a couple of statements on why they intended to do what they said. Now, again, this goes back to what we discussed last week. Here's the statement that I want to read that came from our ancestors in answer to the White Declaration of Independence. Because according to what they said, Richard, they sent it to the black population there, or leadership of the black population. Right. And demanded that they do something in 24 hours and 12 hours they wanted the guy, uh, the, the, the editor. But see, you know, now Richard, this is just me talking. The stuff about the editor was just kind of like a smokescreen. Mm. They were going to do what they're going to do if that editor had left town. Right. But let me read to you, and you shared this with me, Richard, so you might want to go a little further than my analysis of it. Look at the statement given by our ancestors, and you can see the error, the severe error they made. Here it is, according to the historical record, a reply of the colored committee to the White Declaration of Independence. The Committee of Colored Citizens to the Honorable A.M. Waddle. Now, you know, these threats and accusations that was made to them, our people were still addressing them with respect. You notice that, Richard? Yeah. The Mm -hmm. Honorable A.M. Waddle. It says, Dear Sir, we the colored citizens to whom was referenced the matter of expulsion from this community of the persons uh, of the the press mainly beg, but most respectfully to say that we are in no wise responsible nor in any way endorse 
the obnoxious article that called for your ex called forth your activities. Neither are we authorized to act for him in this manner, but in the interest of peace, we are most willing. We are most willingly. We will most. Excuse me. Let me read that again. We are in no wise responsible or in no way endorse the obnoxious article that called forth your activities. Neither are we authorized to act for him in this manner. But in the interest of peace, we will most willingly use our influence to have your wishes carried out. Very respectfully, the Colored mm-hmm. Citizens Committee. Richard, what 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 is going on here? Some of our ancestors here, or this representation of our ancestors, severely dropped the ball, Richard. And, and you know, and and me, me having Richard, Richard, my you, mind, Richard, your mind is sharper than me. Give me your analysis on this response. Uh, Richard. No, but it's 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 it's. As you, I mean, the cornerstone is what you're saying, right? In the sense of, and this, well, I'm, 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 I'm babbling, Elliot, because I get um, questioned um, from the point of view that this statement um, does not treat the severity of the declaration from the perspective that it comes. This. It, what in the, the white declaration is a declaration of war on yes. the black people in Wilmington. Yes. Right? The black people in Wilmington and and um, and for those, again, who would go to the book of Wilmington, you know, Wilmington Live, you would see that, and in this here response, they didn't believe or they didn't operate like we, even in 2023, or even for that period, like it was a declaration of war, right? Mm-hmm. They they operated like, like, like you said, it was a generally uh, 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 misunderstanding that they can project and you know and apologize. For something they didn't agree with. Now, I ain't even going to get into what A.M. Manley, if for those who want to know what we're talking about, go to, um, the, you know, Google A.M. Manley and the um, article that he wrote that created the response, which was, this was false, because in this, they ain't got, you know, most of what was in those seven. Uh, eight declarations had nothing to do with article. I know, I know it. It ain't said, funny, but you're right. They said about the political machinery and about um, what they're taking advantage of with, black, like, with their vote. Yeah, and black um, folks taking jobs. their jobs. They they, said, the, yeah, black folks are taking their jobs. article has something to do with that. <laughs> so their response, you know, the, 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 and, 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 and they had a discussion in the black community you know, as I understand it, and again, I don't understand. I, I, we went through it. We had the discussion, but this sentiment here, Elliot, is goes to your point of 
we not um, taking seriously the extent of the psychology and the system of white domination. Because these guys are hurt primarily because of, of what? Black people using the political franchise and exerting their agency in Wilmington, that they would not be dominated. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. White boys are saying, we are not going to be dominated by y'all politically and economically. And our response come back, well, like we're only dealing with the article and we, we, um, we, we are we going to be respectfully, um, and when it says um, beg most respectfully to say that we are in no wise responsible nor in any way, way endorse this obnoxious article. Is that is that what you were addressing? That's what you're addressing, Ellie. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, maybe I'm looking at her. No, that, that's, what, that's what they said. That's what they said. And 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 we have present examples. Um, Buffalo. Um, what's that? The church in is that South Carolina? Um, we got present examples. You know of this. This positioning happening now. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, going back into the 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 the, the female that shot um I, I forget where that happened that she shot the black man and then the brother and the the the, the um and here is the judge you know embracing her in the name of you know, of forgiveness. Oh, that I was, forget that was, the, was shot. that was the brother who's uh, that cop went to his uh, right. apartment down there, thinking that she said it was her place. The brother was in there watching television, uh, eating ice cream or something, watching Netflix, and she went in and gunned him down. But the response of the of his brother, and the response of the judge. And the, and, the, and the bailiff was wiping her hair and and uh, comforting her. Yeah. That, yeah, that's the same culturally. It's the same response, isn't it? I mean, could we equate that? I mean, may I don't know if I'm taking a leap, but that's you know, it's similar to that because they they didn't take this seriously, Richard. I mean, they were given direct. They want him gone in 12 hours. Mm. They want all those conditions. They didn't just say about the, the, the gentleman that wrote the article. And it, it was mm. interesting if uh, our people read about that, the, not only the article, but the, the editor of the paper. Right. They had other conditions beside that that they wanted met. They basically wanted know. them to give up their offices and power in that city. They, no, wait a minute. They took them offices. They brought in a Gatling gun. Yeah. On the ship, secretly. They plotted, they plotted until, they waited until election day to make it like it was going to be a legal transfer of power. They, they, the, the, I'm going to call I call them the young warriors who at the same time had enlisted to be from the black 
young people, males who enlisted in the army to go to fight in the spear of the, um, what's that, the Mexican, uh, uh, where the Mexican war was going on, they sent them, they thought they were going to go fight. They, they took them out of right before this slaying, this massacre took place. They directed them, told them that they were going to go on the front line, and what they had them doing was go in some training place where they didn't feed them, they didn't clothe them. They wanted to remove any resistance. Now, wait a minute, Richard. The North Carolina government didn't do that, or the government Mm -hmm. of the state of North Carolina. That was a federal act. So that was the president. That was McKinley at that time. That was a federal act to remove the troops and send them somewhere else. Right. That wasn't a local or state act, right? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. So, so this is you know that kind of coordination that's going on, um, and support because they, I mean, um. They, if I'm not mistaken, they sent, um, the blacks sent, you know, to McKinley to, you know, for support. Well, let me, let me, let me share that with the listening audience also, because they can pull that up from the historical record. There was a letter that was sent by a, one of our, uh, women ancestors there to the president of the United States at that time, which was McKinley. I think his first name was William. Wasn't it Richard? William McKinley? Right, yeah. Now, it mentioned a letter from African-American of Wilmington to the president. Now, I'm going to read this little uh, preface before I read the letter. And it goes to what you were saying, Richard, about our people being sent away and that the federal government was involved in that. It wasn't just a local, you know, as described in history, some local yahoos that attack Wilmington. You, you know what I'm saying, Richard? Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it was definitely. a coordinated effort. Now, let me read this. It says, this is a preface to the letter. It says, this letter was written to President McKinley by a black woman living in Wilmington. She described the fear and desperation of the black community in Wilmington who had been terrorized by white a white mob during the Wilmington coup. President McKinley was briefed on the situation in Wilmington. He also met with Booker T. Washington, a prominent black leader, to discuss the violence. McKinley refused to take action. Mm. Uh, North Carolina state government did not ask for federal troops nor declare a state of emergency, despite the fact that the governor was a Republican who had been voted into office with the support of black North Carolinians. Oh, wait wait, wait a minute, Elliot. You missed the line or phrase. As he feared white Southerners would have incited further conflict against black Southerners. Yeah, I'm sorry. McKinley refused to take action as he feared white Southerners would have incited further conflict against black Southerners, and he depended on white vote support. There you go. 
the North Carolina state government did not ask for federal troops nor declare a state of emergency, despite the fact that the governor was a Republican who had been voted into office with black support of North Carolinians. Mm-hmm. McKinley nor Congress even publicly acknowledged the violence in Wilmington. Black Americans across the United States were disheartened by the lack of support from the federal government. McKinley's decision to ignore the violence reflected a shift in national politics towards white supremacy. Okay, well, and and notice, Richard, notice how Europeans phrased this. It it was a shift mm. towards white supremacy. You know, that's why I love looking at their perspective of history. It's totally against reality. (laughs) But if you don't know, then you almost buy into that foolishness they're talking. Mm -hmm. Forgetting forgetting that um, Johnson, you know, with Johnson, when he became president after Lincoln, uh, his recapitulation to the to the to, to the Southern Confederates, you know, of the time, forgetting the the Tillman Hayes compromise, you know, in relationship to um, giving um, you know whites state down. This is all before McKinley. Mm-hmm. So as you say, if people aren't looking at this critically, but most importantly, Elliot, you have to. We have to be centered in our own historical perspective. We cannot be looking at it from someone else's perspective in order to get a correct, uh, in order to get an analysis that makes sense to us. Because what this is saying, oh, this was just, you know, like he he just ignored it, you know, uh, as a part of uh, national politics. Like this is just him. More that this is a policy of, re- of, of recapitulation to the South, who lost the war with black help and the blacks going back to you know the elder right the, uh, with with uh, what is that with the general um, Sherman and he you know and wanting to be left alone, but they also wanted federal troop protection. And they pulled the federal troops out, and this is what the this this is an example. And even as it's going on, what's what's foremost in their mind, the politics, and not wanting to harm the white Southerners. Yeah. Now, now let me read this letter, Richard, because it might shock you, or shock the listening audience, of some of the things that our mother wrote in this letter. But it goes as a learning tool, as a teaching tool. It's something that we must learn. It's lessons here. Let me read it, Richard. It says, Wilmington, North Carolina, November 13th, 1898. So this was, what, a day or two after the attack, Richard, right? I didn't lose you, did I, Richard? Oh, no, no, go ahead. I think this was a day or two after the attack. Yes. Okay. It says, William to William McKinley, President of the United States. Honored sir, I am a Negro woman in the city. In this city, appeal to you f- from the depths of my heart to do something in the Negro's behalf. 
The outside world only knows one side of the trouble here. There is no paper to tell the truth about Negroes here or in this or in any southern state. The Negro in this town has no arms except pistols, perhaps in some instances. Let me read that again, Richard. Mm. The Negro in this city has no arms. The Negro in this town has no arms except pistols, perhaps in a few instances. Which, and let me, go ahead. Let me inject me with this because it's not like black folks wasn't trying to get. They had ordered in another town uh, ammunition. It just so happened that the person they were ordering from was white. And he informed the red shirts and the Klan that he got an order. At first, he wasn't sure who the order was from. He thought it was from, I mean, because the whites ordered guns. They had, they were, they were getting pistoled up. So when black folks ordered these bullets, and then he realized that the order was from black folks, he told one of the red shirts that went back to Wilmington and said, see, black folks is trying to arm, is trying, because they used that black folks were going to be the aggressors. They were, black folks weren't even playing it based off of what she's saying also. It wasn't real. Some were, but in general, black folks weren't. But here again, the trusting of and trying to purchase for protection and so we ain't talking about a government official. We're talking about a merchant who's talking about making money, right? Mm-hmm. See, when it comes to us, making money don't ain't, it, ain't all that up big when it's about uh, protecting white fraternity. That's the only point I wanted to bring up. Let me, let me go a little further. It says, the Negroes in this town have no arms except pistols, perhaps in some instances, with which to defend themselves from an, a, an attack of this lawless, these lawless whites. On the 10th Thursday morning, between 8 and 9 o'clock, when our men had gone to their places of work. Now, wait a minute, Richard. They, our ancestors had already begin, given an ultimatum that in 24 hours, well, in fact, 12 hours, they needed to turn over to editor, and 24 hours, they needed to turn over that printing press and whatever turn over the town basically in 24 (laughs) hours Mm -hmm. but you see what she said that happened at nine o'clock that morning right the men went to work yep they were in the overhaul i think secondly um i challenge hold on a second okay it says on the 10th thursday morning between eight and nine o'clock our negro men had gone to their places of work the white men led by Colonel A.M. Waddle, uh, D. Bellamy, and S.H. Fishbait, Fishblade, marched from the Light Infantry Armory on Market Street down 7th to Love and Charity Hall, which is owned by the Society of Negroes, and set it to fire, burned it up in firing guns and Winchesters. They also had a Hotchkiss gun. Now, I don't know what that is, Richard. I guess we can look at that. Colt Colt rapid-fire rifle guns, 
We the Negroes expected nothing of the kind as the the whites had frightened them from the polls by saying that they would be there with their shotguns. So wait a minute, Richard. We the Negroes expected nothing of the kind. Mm-hmm. You see, you see that, man. You see that? Mm-hmm. They underestimated the humanity of what they were dealing with. They just did. They thought they would look at, look at them as men. They basically look at them as animals. Mm-hmm. They didn't see them as men and women. They seen them as less than. Mm-hmm. Oh. Let me go further. So the few that did vote did so quietly. And we thought after giving up to them and they had carried the state, it would be settled. But they and J.D. Bellamy told them, it says in, in indelible words, so I guess they couldn't translate what she wrote. In addition to the guns they already had to keep back federal interference, we could have the soldiers at Fort Coswell to take up arms against the United States. After destroying the building, they went over in Brooklyn, another Negro settlement, and began searching uh, everyone that did not submit and told them that they would be shot on the spot. They searched all the Negro churches, and today, Sunday, we dare not go to our places of worship. They were in the swamps, Elliot. Yeah. Babies, children, you know, they were they were like hiding out in cemeteries for five to seven days. days. Yes. It says, uh, it says, uh, but they searched all of the Negro churches and today. Sunday, we dare not go to our places of worship. They found no guns, no ammunition in any of the places, for there was none. And to satisfy their bloodthirsty appetites, they would kill unoffending Negro men uh, on their way from dinner. Some of our most worthy Negro men have been made to leave the city. Uh... Also, some whites, the deputy sheriff, chief of police, and the mayor. We do not know where the postmaster is. And let me skip down a little bit here. Wait a minute. Here we go. We are loyal. We go where duty calls us. Are we to die like rats in a trap with no place to seek redress or to go with our grievances? Can we call on any other nation for help? Why do you forsake the Negro who is not to blame for being here? This grand and noble nation who flies to the help of suffering humanity of other nations and leave the secessionists and born rioters to slay us. That we might not have seen the light of the world. 
when our parents belong to them? Why the Negro has no rights? Now, when they work and accumulate property, they're all wrong. The Negroes have been banished and all uh, the property owners to a considerable extent. And they have been worthless Negroes to them. They did not care. Will you, for God's sake, in your next message to Congress, give us some relief? If you send us all to Africa, we will go willingly. Or a number of us will gladly go. In this land of the free and the home of the brave, is this the land of the free and home of the brave? How can the Negro sing my country tis of thee for humanity's sake won't help us? For Christ's sake, do it. We the Negro can do nothing but pray. There seems to be no help for us. No paper will tell the truth about the Negro. The men of the first Carolina were home on furlough, and they took the high hand of in this nefarious work also. So wait a minute, Richard. It says the men of the first Carolina were home on furlough, and they participated in it. Yep. That's what she said. Yep. Okay. They all was in it. It says there was no rioting supply of the strong slaying the weak. They speak... Uh, of special police everywhere, white man and boys from 12 years and up had a gun and or a pistol, and the Negro had nothing. But his soul, he could say, was his own. Oh, to see how we were slaughtered when our husbands go to work and we do not look for them to return. The man who promised the Negro protection uh, in his speeches at the opera house uh, in Cape Fear is now strewn with carcasses. Some papers I see say it was right to re- eject the Negro editor, that all the right, they had all the right, but should a whole city full of Negroes suffer uh, for a man who is 100 miles away? The paper had ceased publication. We were glad it was gone for our own safety, but they slay, They tried to slay us all. Today we're all mourners in a strange land with no protection. God help us. Do something to alleviate our sorrows, if you please. I cannot sign my name and live, but every word is true. The laws of our state is no good for the Negro. Yours in much distress, and a woman from North Carolina, December, November 13th, 1898. So she was making a plea, Richard, mm-hmm. to the president at that time about what was going on there. And given the state of our people there and what they were facing, they faced whites in the town. She said everybody was armed from 12 years old and up that was white. All of them had a pistol, according to what she said, and more. And she said the white regiment from North Carolina was home on furlough, and they participated. So everybody was there. 
She said Cape Fear, which is a, that, that, that's a town in North Carolina, Cape Fear or a city, was strewn with carcasses of black bodies. And like you said, I did see a documentary where I, I have people that stayed alive hid in the swamp for almost a week. And you know, Elliot, if I may say, as to 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 stay centered in your your point um, of you know how we view you know this situation and people in my mind, and this is my opinion, and I don't know, but people people will view this or they could view this. You read a declaration of of of, of whites and. We're talking about 18, 1898, and you, you're talking, and we 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 read a woman's, uh, and really she was echoing a people's plea. Yes, right. Um, after the, you know, because it was still going on. This is November thirteenth, and I think it started November tenth. So this is three days later, but as you said, you know, they were in the swamp for weeks. And they were still consolidating their power. I mean, they just, you know, the whites just took over, I mean, took over the jobs. And, and, and again, and for those who would um, go through that book, um, Wilmington Live, you'll see even the business owners started to complain because some of the white uh, laborers and workers, you know, could not do the work like the black workers had did. They come all drunk. You know, they, it's just on and on. But the the thing that I, when now we take this historical moment and put some strategic thinking to it, to to the point that you're raising, how did we? Re, I mean, it's not how did we respond? Like we can say that they respond incorrectly, but knowing the nature of people who will go through this, and this ain't no new thing. Burning down, you know, killing. I mean, the hanging started to go on um, with with the whole thing of lynching from this period on, right, into the 1920s, 1930s. But this was going on beforehand. What I'm trying to get to is that today, if we put the critical analysis on, I, and I keep just using this these images that we have in our conversation here on Time for Awakening. When you put a mural up on a, on a wall, is it, and that the community respond, but because of one image, one image, the, the aspiration of a, of a community gets called into question. Isn't that what, in that Declaration of Whiteness, isn't that what they were speaking to also? Yeah. But to keep in mind, Richard, that was just the excuse. Right. The, the, the whole being of our people even being there, trying to assert some type of independence, uh, having independent businesses, trying to establish an independent political hierarchy for the, mm-hmm. the areas that they dwelled in was unacceptable to whites. In fact, they said it in that document, in that declaration. They said it was unacceptable. Right, right. And they're not going to have their children even living under that. They said it clearly. That I mean, that that was 
our people knew clearly what they were dealing with. They underestimated them, but they knew clearly what they, I mean, our people understood. They weren't, our people weren't stupid. Right. And, and, and I'm just saying, we ain't stupid today, but the behavior is the same. Exactly. On both sides, Richard. On both sides. Right. Now, let me go while we're waiting on Brother Patrick to join us. And, uh, again, if somebody wants to weigh in on this, they can by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Let me read, because there was a letter written by the colored people of Massachusetts. And... um. They were they weren't enslaved. In fact, they had a a, a a tradition up there where they were they were of a different class of black folks. They were a lot of them were well to do, Richard. You know that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that was different is some of our people during that period, a lot of them, like uh, 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 Du Bois and in in the, in the uh, um, what's his name? The uh, Trotter and all of them. Even though they were well to do, they still had the same care for their own people. And then we'll we'll uh, bring Brother Patrick in we'll, soon. We take a break in about five minutes. But let me share this letter, and we'll we'll get back into it at another time, Richard. But let me share this open letter that our ancestors wrote to the president at that time in reference to what had happened. Because this was after it had happened, Richard. They wrote mm-hmm. this letter in October of the next, the following year. And it came from the Colored League, Colored People in Boston and vicinity, through the Colored National League, at a mass meeting held in Charles Street on Tuesday evening, October the 3rd, 1899, addressed a letter to President McKinley. The reading of the letter was by M.R. Archibald, chairman of the committee. And he, uh, they read, wrote, read this letter, uh, open letter to McKinley in reference to uh, the situation of our people during that period. Notice something. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs of some of the things they said. Boston, Massachusetts, October the 3rd, 1899, to Honorable William McKinley, President of the United States. He says, sir, we, the colored people of Massachusetts, in a mass meeting assembled to consider our oppressions in the state of the country relative to the same, have resolved to address ourselves to you in this letter, notwithstanding our extraordinary, extraordinarily or your incomprehensible silence on the subject of our wrongs. Hold on a second. On the subject of our wrongs. In your annual messages to Congress, as in your public utterance to the country at large, we address ourselves to you, not as your suppliants, which is a beggar, but as of a right as American citizen, whose servant you are, and to whom you are bound to listen. 
for from whom you are equally bound to speak and upon act, occasionally act, as another body of your fellow countrymen in like circumstances. We ask nothing of ourselves at your hands as chief magistrate of the Republic of the Republic to which all American citizens are entitled. We ask for the enjoyment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as other men. We ask for the free and full exercise of the rights of American freemen guaranteed to us by the Constitution and the laws of the Union, which you were solemnly swore to obey and execute. We ask you for what belongs to us by the high sanctions in the Constitution and law and the democratic genius of our institution of civilization. These rights are everywhere throughout the South denied to us, violently wrestled from us by mobs, by lawless legislatures, nullifying conventions, combinations of conspiracies, openly defiant under your eyes, in your constructive and actual presence. And we demand, which is a part of our right protection, security of our life, our liberty, in our pursuit of our individual and social happiness under a government which we are bound to defend in war and is equally bound to furnish us peace, protection at home and abroad. So, Richard, they were demanding as citizens that Mm -hmm. this man listen to them. He said, we're not doing this as beggars. We're doing this as citizens that you're supposed to protect. That was what our ancestors thought. Right. That's not what they thought that wasn't no. the white reality that they had rights that they were supposed to protect. Which they said, which they said, you know, which goes back to the, what's that? The Dred Scott. And what some would say really those even acknowledging those rights didn't come until 1965. Let me read this and one. And we'll follow it. I'm going to go back to this at another time. It says, we have suffered, sir. God knows how much we have suffered. Since your acceptance to office, since your ascension to office at the hands of our country professing to be a Christian, but is not a Christian. From the hate and violence of a people claiming to be civilized, but are not civilized. You have seen our sufferings. Witness from your high place of our awful wrongs and miseries. And yet you have no time or no occasion open your lips on our behalf. Why, we ask? Is it because we are black and weak and despised? Are you silent because without any fault of our own, we were enslaved and held for more than two centuries in cruel bondage by your forefathers? Is it because we bear the marks of those that sad generations of Anglo-Saxon brutality and wickedness is that why you do not speak is it our fault that your involuntary servitude produced in us widespread ignorance poverty and degradation are we to be damned and destroyed by whites because we have only grown of the seeds of which they have planted are we to be damned by bitter laws and destroyed by the mad violence of mobs because we are that white men made us. 
And is there no help from the federal arm for us? Or even one word of audible pity, protest in our, in our behalf, Mr. President? <clears throat> or is that a single member? Or what about a single member of your cabinet? Black indeed we are, sir. But we are also men and American citizens. So again, Richard, they're demanding that he do something about this because they feel as though that they're citizens. But they didn't bite their tongue telling them who they were as a people in this paragraph. No way. We'll go back to this man because it was interesting what the men wrote in reference to that atrocity that happened in Wilmington. But, Richard, you can see from the gist of this letter, from the gist of the letter that the sister wrote out of Wilmington after that massacre, that we're still dealing with the same thing, the same mentality. And, and, and I have to, um, as you make that transition, go back to what Sister Amelia Brown said, because isn't this history? Isn't this our history? And shouldn't we be viewing this history in the now uh, for the solutions um, in this now? But when she said, whoever live and believeth in me, though we be dead, yet shall we live. Isn't that really what we're to do to bring them to life by bringing up these points and show how relevant they are to now? We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have an uh, activist organizer, the Black Liberation Movement, Mississippi Brother Patrick Lumumba, will be joining us. We'll get an update on what happened in uh, El Paso County up there in uh, Colorado with the Mallory family and some other things going on down in, in the belly of the beast in Mississippi. We'll hear from Brother Patrick Lumumba after we take a brief break. You can be a part of the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's Two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215. 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit you black family to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid thinking they're devoid of racism. Do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who have achieved recognition. But look at Raft Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Mary Anderson. 
Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young, but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian emancipation proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian civil rights bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Time for an awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one black broadcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's uh, 9.30 here on this Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. Uh... We were in open forum, but we're going to transition over to our special guest this evening, activist organizer of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi. Brother Patrick Lumumba is joining us in conversation tonight. Brother Patrick, how are you, sir? Yes, Brother Elliot. I'm on. I'm fine, sir. Thank you for having me. What's up, Brother Patrick? All right, all right. It's Brother Richard. How you doing, Brother Richard? (laughs) Brother Patrick, listen. Uh oh, 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 brother Patrick, look like the family's yeah. ho- the family's hey, hollering for hey. you. Well, you know I always got my side kicked by me, man. So okay. she don't pretty much she don't go nowhere, but she she promised me that she's gonna be cooperative tonight. So uh we go we should be okay. Brother Patrick, uh first, listen, I wanna always thank you for your work, man. Um since I first met you and came in contact with you, man, and, and we found that we had mutual people that we knew of already respected what you're doing. Uh, soon as things happen, if it's possible that you can get there, you're always there. And listen, to, to be an activist, man, is and an organizer is thankless work. And, and it's, it, it is a quality, man, that needs to that all of our people need to have, but unfortunately not too many people have that quality, man. Some of our people need people to prompt them, to get them into action. And you're the type of man that can do it. And I've always had respect for brothers and sisters that can organize. Yes, sir. I just want to say that before we kind of talk about the situation that uh, we had been talking about on the program uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, the Mallory's yes, sir. in El Paso County up there in Colorado. 
Um, I knew that you and, and Brother Nick um, from the uh, Geronimo Platt Gun Club had went up there to visit the Mallory's. Uh, I didn't mention it on the air because I, I wanted to get that opportunity for you to come on and kind of say it for yourself. But um, we couldn't get the Mallory's on at this time. But I want to kind of get you on to give our listening audience an update on what uh, you seen when you went up there. You visited, broke bread with the Mallory's, uh, seen their 1,000-acre farm, and seen what they're dealing with uh, up there in El Paso County. Go ahead and talk about some of the situation up there that's going on, and then we'll transition into some of the things that uh, is happening down there in Mississippi. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, uh, Brother Elliot. But I'd be remiss. If I did not uh, express the same appreciation for you and Brother Richard uh, for doing what it is that you all do uh, with this radio uh, ministry, this radio media outlet, because what I'm finding, uh, Brother, with you know, with you appreciating the activists, we also got to appreciate black media, because what's happening here in Mississippi, before we even talk about uh, Colorado, is censorship from high political spaces mm. of black uh, pain, uh, black humanity continuing to be uh, degraded and uh, the social injustices that we suffer, they are not even giving it coverage. I mean, it's being, uh, I think it's unprecedented what's happening now uh, is that the censorship is coming from the highest police in the state, which is the uh, state district attorney, Lynn Fence. Uh, who's basically putting censorship on a lot of these uh, hashtags. And I also wanted to point out, before we get started with the Mallory's, uh, you know, we are of critical importance. Uh, Brother Nick Bevel um, pointed out to me when he went to New Orleans to visit an elder, a uh, former member of the Black Panther Party, a great elder, uh, and the elder pointed out to Nick, you know, what, why our work is so hard and difficult for us to carry out uh, what should seemingly be uh, an obvious thing that we need to do as black people. The elder pointed out to Nick, he said, Brother Nick, you, you do understand that only 3% of black people participated in the civil rights movement. Only 3% of black people mm. participated. And he would only say when we begin to emerge a consciousness of black power, uh, he said that only 0.5, I didn't say 5%, I said only 0.5% of black people participated in what we call black power uh, consciousness movement. So that translates uh, even to today. You know, and when we find this work, you say it's a thankless work, no doubt is a thankless work. But just the sheer lack of numbers is uh, is overwhelmingly shocking to understand that 0.5% of black people actually understand uh, what it is that we're doing. So I just wanted to uh, appreciate you all for uh, paying attention, you know, to the uh, things that we are doing and trying to exact for our people you know, not only here in Mississippi, but, you know, everywhere, you know, because it's a thankless work and it's very few of us that have the heart and the commitment to get up every day and fight this well-oiled machinery of white supremacy. So I just want to prelude our conversation with that because I think it should give the people who's listening a great perspective 
of what it is that we're doing in a greater appreciation. Well, thank you, brother. But, uh, I, you know, I, what can I say, man? It's a need there. I mean, me personally, I, I can't sit and watch some of these the venues that's supposed to be black owned, black operated, uh, people speaking in black behalf that, that don't speak truth to power and know these things are going on. These stories are not hard to find. Yes, They're there. But some of these people are not speaking on them for reasons that you've just stated. So, you know, I, I'm glad. Listen, I, I'm just kind of in the sounding board or, or, a, or, or a town crier, so to speak. It's, it's you men that's out there doing the work. So uh, the floor is yours. Bro. Yes, sir. Go, go ahead, Brother Patrick. Yes, sir. Yeah, the, and, and as, as it pertains to the Mallory's uh, and Freedom Acres Ranch, uh, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, uh, yes, we did go out there. Uh, uh, the El Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, you know, uh, and we tried to uh, connect with other organizations because what's needed at Freedom Acres Ranch is uh, it's really a combined effort that's needed. Uh, but I can speak to what it is that we experienced on Freedom Acres Ranch and meeting the, the Mallory's, uh, Court, Court, Courtney and Nicole Mallory. Um, very humble and modest ranch out there, 1,000 acres uh, ranch. And just to give perspective to the people that's listening on, this is a 1,000 acre ranch that's owned by uh, two black people who decided that they're going to uh, live their, their dreams. And um, instead, it became somewhat of a nightmare uh, out in El Paso County, Colorado. Uh, vast expanse of land. I've never been out uh, out in Colorado, but you know, just the sheer enormity of the land and the great expanses of land uh, that, that that's out there is overwhelming and breathtaking. So these this black uh, couple who uh, decided to live out there and and, and, and uh, own some land and, and ranch out there uh, experiencing uh, domestic terrorism uh, by their white neighbors who are attacking their, their uh, ranch in a lot of ways. Uh, they're making it very uncomfortable for the Mallory to live uh, in peace just by, you know, the racism that perpetrated. When we pulled up, uh, the Mallory's are very uh, black conscious. They had uh, Black Lives Matter flags uh, posted throughout their uh, land landmass on the fence line, and we could visibly see where uh, white neighbors have torn the flags down, uh, ripped the flags. I even think I've seen a couple flags burn. Um, we have to enter the the the, the ranch, you know, is is secured tightly. Uh, with security cameras and solar panel lights, we made it at night when we first arrived. The contingency out of Mississippi, um, so uh, it, it, you know, it, it's very secure. Security cameras uh, surrounding the parameters, and for the people who don't understand how much acreage this is, just think about two and a half square miles of land. That's how much a thousand acres uh, would equate to. So these, uh, this couple who essentially live by themselves and their animals are experiencing 
you know, domestic uh, terrorism, uh, even to the point where their uh, uh, farm animals are being poisoned. Uh, when we got there, it was a, a seven to 800-pound cow that had just uh, taken his last breath uh, out on the fence line uh, there that, w- that had been poisoned. Uh, numerous goats, baby sheep, um, and other things have been poisoned on the land. So this is the type of uh, domestic terrorism that they're facing out there. And uh, they were in need of protection. Not only were, are they in need of protection and security, these people are in need of companionship. You know, that goes without uh, mentioning that just the companionship uh, of having, you know, some of your own people there in a measure of protection uh, spoke volumes and, and, and we could feel, you know, the need for that. Uh, you know, even when we left, it was a very uh, teary-eyed type situation where, you know, Miss Mallory did not want us to to leave the compound. So that was pretty much the experience. It's very cold out there this time of year, uh, Brother uh, Elliot. But that was our experience out there. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I feel a, a great deal of, uh, of, 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 of pleasure in just being out there and helping the Mallory's conduct some farm work that Mr. Mallory had got behind on due to the fact that he's been uh, arrested, you know, and that's a whole nother uh, measure of this thing too, because these white people are able to use the lies and manipulation and the law uh, basically substantiate the lies and manipulation and, and ended up in brother Mallory being arrested and, you know, getting locked up. And when you out there trying to operate a ranch, of that magnitude, if you miss a day, you know, you fall behind in work. And, you know, with them just being there by themselves, it's hard to catch up with that type of work. So we got out there and we helped them get a lot of work done. We replaced a lot of fence lines and put up a lot of security measures out there. And we left a base camp, you know, for anybody else that would come in there. They could come in there and uh, Brother Nick Bezel, uh, the Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, uh, Brother Hawk Newsom and um, Black Opportunities United out of New York and uh, other various brothers and sisters uh, came and they helped us in their efforts for those days that we were up there. Mm. Brother Patrick, the um, t- tell me, because when I read uh, the published reports, it stated that, now I could see why uh, 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 the Maui's probably didn't want to say anything because when you're in a situation like that, I would assume I've never been in a situation like that where, you know, my life and limb and things I own was in jeopardy. But I'm I'm saying that to say this, when I, when I first read the reports, it stated that the Maui's had went to Denver. I don't know how far Denver is from where they're located, but they went to Denver Mm -hmm. to try to, uh, to get help. And at the time, the NAACP had told them that they didn't want to get involved. Now, that was according to the published report. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I seen all of a sudden that the NAACP and a couple other organizations had got involved or at least spoke in his behalf. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about it from your perspective because, you, you, I mean, they're not dealing with you. So you was almost like an observer of what was going on. Did you see where they gave him right. any aid or whether it was just uh, uh, 
a press or a photo op or a press, uh, you know, how did you see right. th- their uh, involvement? Well, uh, Brother Elliot, it's pretty much, uh, you're right. I, I, was, I didn't have a lot of extensive knowledge of interaction with NAACP and various mainstream black organizations prior to going out there. But what I did understand was that um, when we got there uh, in thorough conversation with Nick and uh, I, and I I have a brother on the phone with us right now uh, that's legal counsel and also a member of the El Paramo Gun Club, uh, our legal counsel, Brother Carl Soto, out of uh, Florida, who's going to help me with this conversation. What number did he dial from, uh, Brother Patrick? What number did he dial from? Do you know? Uh, eight one three. Uh, eight one three number. Yeah, I think that's the number. The eight one three number out of, of Florida. Let, let me see. But uh, yeah, brother Carl Soto is on. This our legal counsel with uh, Elmo Geronimo Pratt. Brother Carl. And, um, yeah, yeah, brother Carl Soto. Is O T O. Let me see. Is this brother Carl? Or is this you? Yes, sir. It is. If oh. you can hear me. Oh, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. Thanks, brother Carl, for joining us. Uh, go, ahead, no brother, go ahead, Brother Patrick, and then we'll bring Brother Carl in. Okay. Yeah, so just briefly, <clears throat> um, you know, it's like these hashtags, Brother uh, Elliot. You know, um, these mainstream people don't want to get involved, you know, in the in the dirty work. You know what I'm saying? But when it began to gain national attention and, you know, uh, some eyes were on it, you know, here they come. Here they come, okay. You know, and they don't want people like us you know, involved when they dealing. So what I did get an opportunity to witness, the NAACP representative that was prior, uh, previously previously on the Roland Martin show, uh, uh, and, and he was talking about this issue, uh, he actually came out to the gate, uh, to, the, to, the, to the entrance of the, uh, of the ranch, in which we didn't allow him in uh, because uh, <clears throat> we had assumed you know, the position matters and, you know, we were not uh, interested in, you know, their, uh, you know, them in, in, in that regard, unless the Mallory's uh, wanted them, you know, to help in that regard. But uh, only interaction that we had, you know, with other mainstream organizations like the NAACP was that particular interaction. And it was just basically uh, uh, a conversation at, at, the, at the interest of the ranch that we just decided that, you know, we had conflict of interest uh, dealing with the issue. And, um, you know, they, they, they left saying that they would directly deal with the matters. But we've seen them as uh, attention seekers. You know, you're jumping on this thing, you know, at this point. And, and, you know, here we are, boots on the ground. We do have legal people that can do probably, you know, the same work that you uh, probably offer the family, if not better. So um, that's the way I saw it. Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, was that they had just jumped on the bandwagon, and these people had been needing uh, legal counsel. They've been needing support. They've been needing security and all of that prior to us making it there. So I have seen very little involvement uh, of consequence from the NAACP and other various organizations. Okay. Um, Brother Soto, let me, let me get you involved in the conversation also. Um, were you there with you were there with Brother Patrick and, and Brother Nick? 
yes, sir. I think you asked me, am I with the organization? Yes, I am a part of the uh, Elmo Pratt Drama Gun Club. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm also a pastor as well and just recently took the bar exam in Florida to become an attorney. Okay. Let's look at it from the perspective of the legal rights of, uh, of Mr. Mallory. And, uh, okay, good. Uh, oh. Somebody, there's a baby somewhere. Okay, good. I, yeah. Let's look at it from the legal rights of Mr. Mallory, and, and then I'll get the pastor Mike to Brother Richard. Um, from what you observed, Brother Soto, now, according to the law, um, the Second Amendment, that you have a right to protect your property. A legal, you sure do. A legal right. Now, according to the published reports, uh, Mr. Mallory have contacted the sheriff out there in El Paso County, I think over 100 times, about the problems that he was having. Correct. And, and it's, it's obvious to me that if I'm calling the, the police or the county sheriffs over 100 times, that whatever I'm complaining about is not being addressed. Correct. So, so where And, is, in fact, what they did was they retaliated against him for even making that many calls. Uh, and a part of the criminal charges that he was charged with at some point was uh, harassment. Uh, um, uh, har- they charged him with harassment and stalking. Uh, which did not make much sense to me legally or anyone that had common knowledge of law. Now, wait a minute. Harassment and stalking of the police? Um, well, I know or that just... they uh, uh, put in their affidavit that he was allegedly harassing the or calling the non-emergency line for the sheriff's office uh, numerous times, and they, uh, I guess, decided to go ahead and attempt to criminally charge him with that. And I don't know if those charges were filed or not, but I do know that that was amongst some of the charges that he was charged with in addition to them charging him in connection with attempting to defend his property uh, 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 when uh, uh, intru- intruders unlawfully entered his property, uh, uh, attempting to um, uh, physically harm, I believe it was his wife, and also poison his cattle. And when he uh, was able to eyewitness that, he immediately grabbed his weapon to uh, defend himself, and they charged him for it instead of the uh, criminals. And, and see that that's what that, that's kind of what I want to kind of bring out because uh, the brother is in a a terrible situation there because he's Correct. not getting help from the authorities and it's no. clear that it's clear that his life and property is no. clearly being jeopardized. So Correct. that puts you in a situation where you almost have to defend yourself and your property. And that's where some of the brothers and, and sisters that have went there to his aid. You know, Richard, I, I, I want you to weigh in on this also because, I, Richard, I, I can't, you know, the brothers out there in Colorado, it's not like he's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where he can kind of, people can come from two blocks away or around the corner or catch a bus. You know, he, he's out there where it's, it's very secluded. So he's in, a, he's in a bind, Richard. Go ahead and weigh in, Richard. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, um, brother, I don't know how to, uh, you know, contextualize for a question. So, especially from the legal perspective, you know, um, and, you know, Elliot, because we just got finished looking at the Wilmington um, incident, you know, in, in, a, in a brief way. What, what do you say? <clears throat> what does you what do you see from a from a rights perspective 
is really um, going on here um, using this situation that's happening to the brother in Colorado? Uh, how, how do we do, how do we define it from a rights perspective? Brother Soto, we didn't lose you, did we? Brother Soto, uh oh, we might have lost your midget. I'll probably drop. Yeah. Well, and let me let me ask you, Brother Patrick, um, and, and and I know you y'all were. I'm gonna call it a brief time, but you, 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 you've done a lot of work on it. I was I was curious in what was the communication between the husband and wife? Um, you know that what was the messages that you picked up from them um, as they talked about what they're wrestling with? Um, is it anything that you know that you could share that that they said that was? Um, relevant or necessary for us to understand being in that kind of circle, in that situation. Um, I know there's stress and anxiety and all that, but what was the what was the communication about um, that that you were able to pick up in in the exchange for the time you were there? Well, <clears throat> most of my time was spent with Courtney because you know my thing was getting my crew together together every morning and getting out there on the ranch and helping him, you know, get some of this work done, he had fell so behind on. So most of the conversation with us was basically, uh, you know, dealing, him dealing with and understanding the uh, magnitude of the uh, 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 of the layers of terrorism that they were dealing with, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and I kind of wanted to get an idea of, this, you know, I guess I just say it the, the way that it is. You know, the 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 the, the white supremacist uh, mm-hmm. force and power that was pressing against him and without uh, with impunity. I say it, say it like that because uh, he would he would express that he was so uh, taken back by how these people could maliciously lie, and it would be followed up you know, by legal action, you know, uh, even, even his arrest. And, uh, you know, we were just an, an example. It was that we were just riding the parameters the first morning that we were there, me and brother Nick Bezel, uh, uh, uh another brother, and, and myself were riding the parameters, and they were just showing me the massiveness of the land and just riding the parameters. We would do that every morning we was out there. And they, would show, they showed me one of the most aggressive neighbors, which was a white woman. And her family that lived like on the western uh, uh, edge of the property, and by the time we made it all the way around and made it back to the 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 the, the, the base, the home, the wife was coming out of the house and saying, "What did y'all do?" And we asked, "Well, what do you mean? We just rolled the parameters." She said, "We just got a call from the police that said they had some type of suspicious activity, <laughs> you know, on the land." So you know. And I looked at Mr. Matter, and I said, are you serious? I mm-hmm. said, we were, we were just riding the land. Just ride. And so this is this is some of the the pressure, you know, that they are facing out there. You know, and, uh, you know, they were seeing uh, new people come on the land, and, uh, you know, these people are uh, watching this property, you know, uh, religiously. So they able to discern when new people come on the land and, 
they that that's cause for an alarm. Mm-hmm. You know, these people got a whole rent that they done bought out there that's that, that, that has this parameter site, fence line, and everything. But the activity that they do on their land is deemed suspicious activity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm to answer your question, Brother Richard, I dealt mostly with Courtney, uh, Mr. Mallory, uh, and it, 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 I could see the pressure, you know, in his face, you know, every day getting up, not knowing what the next thing would be that he had to deal with. That's tremendous, you know. And uh, us being there brought a great measure of relief, um, uh, you know, and I could see that. And he was able to get work done, and we were working almost from sun up to sundown. But as far as Miss Mallory, she handles more of the uh, legal stuff. You know, uh, she talks to the press. You know, she talks to the, uh, 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 you know, the organizations that want to come out and uh, basically photo op, you know, and and, and so on and so forth. So she's a lot more, uh, I, I guess you could say, she, she, she converts more, uh, she was more open for conversation with, you know, these various organizations. But Mr. Mallory was more uh, secluded. He was more selective with who it is that he talked with. And, uh, you know, and I will say he felt very comfortable with us. But the pressure was tremendous, you know, from what I observed from Mr. Mallory. I didn't have too much contact with Nicole. And and I appreciate that. And and because the thought comes to my my head and something because of the discussion we just having, um, in open forum was, you know, especially as it relates to Mr. Mallory and, and them purchasing um, this ranch and this, did they have, did they have already in their mind that something like this would um, be taking place? Like, you know, or, or you know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. did they go to this yeah. with that compared to go to this, with you know, and now all of this is a shock. Uh, even if you didn't yeah. get communication, what's your impression? And, and you know what, uh, brother Richard, I, I, I'm very grateful for that question because you know me and Nick had you know conversations going up, you know, and uh, and everything. And we felt that it was our duty, you know, as a social injustice organization, you know, to protect our people wherever we are. But you know, we push a whole concept of reverse migration. And we push a whole concept, black people need to be what black people are, you know. And I was telling Nick, I said, listen, man, you know, this was the Mallory's dream. It was not the white people who lived their dream. You know, that was not their dream, you know. So that land out there, man, if we do the history on that land, Brother Richard, that land out there was for white land grabbers. You know, as I was riding out there from Mississippi, I crossed six states. I left out of the state of Mississippi went into Tennessee, went into into Kansas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. And I went across a lot of vast expanses of land. And the only thing I could think about was the speech from Martin Luther King. He uh, made it clear that this was basically a dust bowl, you know, and it opened itself up, you know, due to the white aggression of going out there and basically taking native land. And, um, you know, America, America began to basically give this land away, and we were we were talking on the way up there. You know, I was talking to, you know, the, the people that rolled up there with us, and we basically were having a history lesson about this because we got to understand this kind of thing. We've seen white people of very median incomes. You know, these were not 
lavishly rich white people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, these were white people uh, from the Dust Bowl era. They were the very white people that Martin Luther King was talking about when he was talking about how America took this land and basically was giving this land mm-hmm. to uh, white uh, people and, 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 and undergirded them and subsidized them with all of these incentives. So these white people know that America uh, intended for this land to, for them. So then when you got black people that are coming out there and purchasing a thousand acres of land, you talking about you 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 the, the you know, you're dealing with the white descendants of these uh people who basically done been given ownership of this land. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just with that type of historical understanding, you understand better the white aggression that's faced when a black couple decide to move out on the prairie, so to say. Yeah, and that, and that's and that's that's what, um, uh, Elliot, you had um, framed it earlier, you know, as far as underestimating, you know. Um, and that's what I'm, I think that we should, um, I'm not saying we should not make these moves, right? Um, even even to, because we probably could do something with the, that, that type of land. And what y'all did as far as going up and, and, you know, creating that kind of relationship is one of those things in creating community and space and, and, and being able to, whether it be black farmers or in this, in this case, but the point of us, I'm just trying to get, if we go to places that we know, and that's the only way I can say it is hostile territory. Even if we don't know it for reality, it's something that, that says something about that we have to become conscious of. I'm not taking away agency. I'm not taking away dreams. I'm just saying that, when we're talking strategic and we're talking critical thinking that, you know, um, we have to use this, this moment. uh, And I apologize for using Mr. Mallory's, you know, challenge and stress, but I think we should use this as a teachable moment when we're talking about even where we are, this is what, I mean, the same condition, the the aggression might seem different, but the the, the outcome is the same. And if we don't, we think no doubt, an environment where people are just, you know, they're just going to open arms or whatever and don't have that. I mean, we see also the political connection, you know, because I think that's a black sheriff in that town, right? Isn't that a black sheriff there? I was I, I a white, a black a white person guy. in uniform. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm it sorry. Was... Oh, oh, Richard, yeah, too. Uh, I, I didn't see a black person in uniform, period, outside of us. <laughs> I think uh, the whole time, Richard, you had a legal question because Attorney Soda is back on here. Uh, can you hear us, Attorney? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. loud and clear. Go ahead, okay. Richard. That question. Yeah, just I, I heard your question. I was just going to basically implement and remind you that Colorado is not only a stand your ground state, but it's also a castle doctrine state, which lawfully allows a person who's lawfully able to be in possession of a firearm to defend themselves. Uh, defend their property and their homes and their loved ones from any unlawful intruders. Uh, so when I learned of his arrest and I read the affidavit, I immediately knew that this was a malicious prosecution attempt. Uh, and the sheriff's office or the arresting agency um, had to have added some additional misleading information to secure that arrest. Now, I know that Mr. Mallory, uh, through the help of the Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, has retained counsel uh, and uh, uh, Looking at it from a legal standpoint, I don't see how they're going to allow those legal charges to stand. 
uh, they're going to be forced to null process those charges, and it's a court term for dismiss uh, because there's just no legal binding to keep it going. Um, uh, uh, it's definitely predatory what the sheriff's office is doing. Um, uh, going out there because I too uh, accompanied uh, the Geronimo Pratt Gun Club to the you know in Colorado, and I and I, I immediately noticed that the land that the Mallorys owned is actually one of the largest, if not the largest. Uh, mm -hmm. So I sensed a lot of jealousy uh, that a black couple was able to purchase a 1,000-acre land, which is over two and a half miles wide, uh, which also assisted or abated uh, these racist neighbors to try, uh, uh, committing this unlawful uh, behavior uh, because they're jealous and because they're angry in an attempt to run these people out. But Mr. Mallory's civil rights were most, were most certainly violated, uh, which is why I was uh, 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 disturbed when I learned that the NAACP initially refused to assist them, and then all of a sudden when the case started to gain national attention or get attention, uh, that's when they came around and made it seem like they were providing assistance to the family from day one. Mm -hmm. I actually found that um, insulting because I know for a fact that uh, Brother Pat and Brother Nick and uh, Brother Hulk Newsom uh, sacrificed their time and was out there. And actually, we all slept in an icebox. Uh, it was not, we, we, we were subjected to nine-degree weather at night, uh, you know, uh, spending several days out there uh, uh, trying to assist the Mallorys with uh, coming up with a game plan on how to deal with this predatory behavior. Uh, uh, so uh, um, to answer your question, there, I, I, the Mallorys are probably going to be entitled to something called a malicious prosecution lawsuit uh, because there was no legal basis for the charges, and the charges were not made in good faith at all, and race had a lot to do with it. So uh, um, I'm expecting his counsel to file, after these charges are dismissed, to file a civil suit uh, in connection with that malicious prosecution against the sheriff's office. And, and that would that would be against the sheriff's office? Correct. I'm, okay. Uh, well, let me say this, y'all. Hey, Elliot, I know I'm not supposed to say it. He said nine degrees. <laughs> Dog, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah, it was nine degrees at night and with the wind chill below the record. Uh, but uh, these brothers, you know, Patrick, Nick, uh, uh, Nick, Brother Hawk, and multiple members of the Geronimo Pratt Gun Club and uh, uh, the Black Opportunities Organization and the Black Liberation Movement uh, uh, teamed up, and they all went out. We all went out to uh, 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 Yorter, uh, Colorado, which is a s small city right outside the Colorado Springs where the Mallorys owned the ranch to sacrifice with them. And even though we were freezing <laughs> literally almost to death at night, uh, we can say that the sacrifice was def definitely warranted to stand in the gap uh, with the Mallorys. Now, I heard someone mention that, that you know, uh, could the Mallorys have known that this was going to happen? And then I also heard a comment saying that, you know, that you have to be careful when uh, 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 choosing uh, to uh, operate a business or an establishment or ch when you uh, you have to be careful when you're choosing to engage in something where you know that you're going to have to face racism or a chance of oppression. And uh, uh, I wanted to say to that comment, uh, um, whoever made that comment, nowadays it doesn't matter what you do. All you have to do is walk out your house and anything is liable to happen. It doesn't matter if you're in a predominantly black town or if you're in a predominantly white town. Uh, because of the way this country has uh, relaxed its laws against racism and suppression, um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. 
the Malawis just found an opportunity where they, they you know, they're business people. They, they, they found a way to uh, uh, create general wealth, and they knew that by buying this land and uh, uh, profiting off of it and also establishing a cattle and doing different things that farmers are entitled to do, they knew that they would be able to secure themselves financially with stability. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, as you know, when it comes to this land, it was only given out to the white people initially, uh, and our people were not privy to the same uh, standards or the same privileges that white people got when they were able to purchase this land. So, um, yes, there, there was, uh, I'm sure the Mallory's, uh, uh, I don't think they knew that, that it was going to be this bad, but it's always a chance of having to deal with this type of behavior when you're going to a predominantly white area. But this, but I'm, I commend the Mallory's because this is a, this is going to be a new precedent to let the racist people know that this is not going to be tolerated. Our, you know, we have the same equal rights and our people have the right to do whatever they wish. This is supposed to be the land of the free. Let me ask you this. Uh, our, you, you mentioned, and I'll, I'll end with this question, but you mentioned about the, you know, the possibility, I mean, the, the, the potentiality of the sheriff's uh, office being sued after they go through this. Is it, do you see any um, uh, suits to the neighbors based off uh, off of the actions that and the complaints that the Mallory's made, is there a possibility that this, the the neighbors can be pursued? Yes, uh, it's, it's a very well. It's, the law does enable the Mallory's to sue the neighbors and anyone else that has been harassing them or showing up unlawfully on their property. Now, of course, there's going to have to be a burden of proof uh, uh, to uh, 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 distinguish the specific individuals that did this. But yes. Uh, 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 from the way it's looking, there's more than enough evidence to support that this was definitely done by uh, uh, specific neighbors. And yes, there is going to be grounds for lawsuit. Unfortunately, the way the law works is while the Mallory, while Mr. Mallory is facing these criminal charges, it's typically very difficult for a civil rights attorney to move forward with uh, civil rights litigation while there's criminal charges pending. So typically the way lawyers and counsel does it is they uh, work with the criminal defense attorney to get the criminal charges dismissed so they can move forward or proceed with the um, civil civil rights charges. Okay. Well, thank you. Hey, Brother Patrick, l- let me ask you uh, another question also. Um, does the Mallory's have the children with them at the farm? No. They don't. It, it, no, is, no, is, I didn't see any children. Is that, uh, and I, I don't even think they share children uh, on, well, I know that I didn't see any children on the farm. What, no. Did he have any hands uh, with him there? Well, he had, uh, I did with his one ranch hand, a native a native out there that had befriended the Mallory's. And I, 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 I put quotations around native. You talking about native, native, brother. native American? Yeah, like Native American brother. Okay. You know, uh, we had extensive conversation with him, but uh, that was the only other ranch hand that I'd seen outside of the people that came with us. You know, it, it, um, it, the brother's in a uh, situation there that uh, I, I could see why when you said you, you were leaving that it was kind of emotional for the Mallory's because seeing that type of, Richard, listen, seeing that type of brotherhood, man, where you got a group of brothers I don't know whether any women went with you, so I'll I'll just say a, a group uh, that came from six states down, drove all the way up there, and helped restore some type of order, and didn't say, "Hey, listen, when I get there and I help you out, I want to get paid." You know, come on, man, that, that's brotherhood, Richard. That's yeah. that's brotherhood, mm-hmm. and it's an example yeah, for all of us. 
So, I, again, I commend you men for what you're doing and what you did. Um, and I know that uh, it, it, it makes them feel better. Uh, you know, at least sleeping. I, I can understand the stress the brother's in. Well, he can't even sleep at night. I know he probably didn't figure that he had to put all these security cameras around to watch the, the people don't come in his house. Or, 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 I mean, those that, that cattle, that one I saw on social media, that I'm assuming that cow's worth over $1,000, isn't he? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, those those cattle uh, that, I, that, you know, they, they're different types of cattle, and I try to burst myself on these type things because, you know, we, got, we put a strong agriculture initiative and uh you know so uh i think those were uh angus you know uh cattle cow and uh those cows you know if you follow one of those cows you lose one of them you lose a substantial amount of income you know and uh the mallards are building that you know it's not like they have a massive amount of cattle i think you know they probably had uh right at double digit uh cattle you know, there, but, they, you know, that's, that's very modest when you're talking about a thousand acre ranch, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, to lose, a, you know, some cattle, you know, you already, uh, you know, you had a building stage that, that, that's, uh, that's detrimental. So, you know, that, that hurts the economy. It kind of reminds me of when the white man was actually taking over the prairie states and the natives out there, you know, uh, with, survive off of uh the buffalo the buffalo and the natives had a special relationship mm. and uh when the white man wanted to disrupt the uh continuity and um and, and, and peace and survival of the natives they they employed the the, the nation employed that they killed the buffalo mm-hmm. killed the buffalo and grow so that kind of reminded me of that you know way of uh disrupting the comfort of the Mallory's in the same way that the nation uh the United States employed that they disrupt the comfort zone and the survivability of the natives in employing people like Buffalo Bill to, you know, destroy the uh cattle, you know, the the, the buffalo. So yeah, that that's that's hard, man. And these people know it's intentional racism, it's intentional terrorism. These people know what it takes to terrorize these people and basically get them off their lane. Listen, one question before we transition over to talking about uh, Jaheim McMillan and uh, and something that you have been working on for a while. Um, do you plan? Well, I know that you plan to go back up, but when did when did, when did the group plan to go back up, or have Nick been up, or are you planning to go back soon? Well, it's basically a check with me type thing. Okay. You know, I told Nick, you know, he just left Mississippi because some. Uh, breaking things that happened on the Jaheim McMillan uh, situation. That's why I sent that to your message before we came. But, you know, when Nick got back, you know, to uh, to uh, Texas, he let me know he was there, and I just told him to rest, man. You know, uh, okay. you need to rest. And, and, you know, whatever the next maneuver is, you know, we need to be rested and, and, and ready to go. So I'll be hearing from Nick, you know, when it is that we'll probably be making our tracks back there. I do have contacts with the Mallory. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we, we wanted to create a cycle for Elliot with other organizations. That's why we went up there and sat up that base camp. It's cots up there. It's sleeping bags up there. It's wood burning heaters up there. It's food up there. Hell, there's a lot of stuff up there we left up there. We just need people to help cooperate while the Mallory's endure this storm, you know. And uh, 
So, yeah, we plan to go back, but as of right now, I can't tell you the exact date. Okay. Well, listen, you might not get Richard to go until they get warm. Then he'll 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 go. <laughs> I'm t- I, you know, I'm getting y'all. Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. respect y'all, but no I ain't with y'all. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Pat- I hear you, Rich. Brother Patrick, uh, when we talked months ago, I remember you were working. On, in fact, it might have been the summertime when you told me you first got was getting involved with this particular case of Jaheim McMillan. And I've seen from the published report that you sent that they finally released the body cam footage. Uh, talk about the case mm-hmm. for our people, because this hasn't made national stories. Um, and not trying mm-hmm. to take away from any of the stories that have made national news, but this particular case is not known nationally. And there's a couple of cases going on down there in Mississippi. I've seen where uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Attorney Malik Shabazz was involved, and I don't know whether this is the same case, but it's it's a couple of ongoing cases down there. But talk about this case, and, and maybe we can get the attorney involved also. But talk about this case that you had been involved in for a while. Well, okay, actually, um, Brother Elliot, I'm going I'm to I'm yield that to Brother Carl because Carl was on the forefront of this uh, particular uh, murder Okay, before we were. You know, and uh, this murder actually happened October the 6th of uh, 2022. And uh, Brother Carl was one of the first people on the ground, you know, with this issue. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the initial press conference that was held shortly after the police murdered our little brother, uh, it was conducted by Brother Carl Soto, you know. And then I come to know of Brother Carl, you know, shortly after that. And uh, we we became involved in the Black Liberation Movement and Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. And uh, me and Carl and, and Nick came close connected. And uh, that's what uh, facilitated the relationship to this point. So I would rather Brother Carl uh, explain you know, how this thing all came about. Brother Carl? Well, uh, thank you, uh, Commander Patrick. Um, can you hear me pretty good? Yes, sir. Hey, you okay, well, uh, Commander Patrick was correct. Uh, this incident happened on October 6th, uh, uh, 2022, and um, um, I've had the unfortunate opportunity of providing assistance to multiple families impacted by police misconduct. So um, I made it my business to understand federal law, federal guidelines, federal statutes, police uh, procedures, you name it. Um, I made sure I obtained adequate knowledge so I can be able to provide assistance. And um, typically when it comes to these situations, typically there's a her side, his side, and the truth. And, um, um, you know, typically it, it has been proven, especially in, in the wake of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and so many other cases, that the truth is lying more with misconduct. Uh, uh, but you always still have to be impartial when you are looking at each situation. Uh, so with this case, um, when the chief, uh, this happened on October 6th, uh, the chief of police of Gulfport made a, his own press conference uh, within days of the incident, making a series of allegations against the young, the, against the, the 15-year-old who died, uh, accusing this child of pointing a weapon at an officer. So when I was listening to his press conference, in my mind, I'm like, unfortunately, this seems like a, a slam dunk, uh, uh, case closed, uh, 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 justified shooting. So I just continued to listen to his press conference, and at the end, it was something that was done that let me immediate, that, that made me immediately realize that this chief was not being forthcoming. 
And at the end, a reporter asked him, it was a live press conference, they asked him, well, where is the body camera footage? Uh, because that department was, uh, all of the officers were equipped with adequate body camera footage, uh, body camera equipment, and all of their body cameras were uh, supposed to be on and rolling uh, when they approached scenes like this. So the reporter asked the chief, and then the chief goes, well, that's, that's classified. No, his words was, um, that's been turned over to NBI. We can't release that right now. We'll have to release it in the future when we, and, uh, you know, we'll let you know when we have a date. So when I heard that at the end, um, I, we just sat there. I, I sat there and watched a whole 20-minute press conference of a chief giving specific detailed versions of events of what he claims led up to his officer killing a child. But then when it came that time to produce the evidence, now all of a sudden he can't do that. So that's what let me know that this is not forthcoming. Uh, it was not forthcoming. So I immediately went out to Florida and uh, started working with the family. The family uh, did hire Ben Crump and a few other attorneys uh, to assist them on the legal aspect as well. And uh, uh, as the case went on, I realized that the evidence, after speaking with witnesses that were there, um, uh, store uh, employees that were at the Family Dollar where it happened, um, all, of their, all of their statements were starting to collaborate with each other, and many of them didn't know each other. And they were all indicating that at the time this young man was shot, uh, his hands were up, and uh, uh, at the time he was shot, he was unarmed. Now, there was... Uh, 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 different detailed versions of whether or not he had a weapon in his possession or not uh, initially. Uh, but everyone that was there acknowledged that at the time he was shot, he was no longer in possession of a firearm. Uh, so uh, we, for four months, we demanded the release of the body camera footage. And for four months, they gave us the runaround. Initially, they said they would release it by the end of December. Then they said by the end of January. And I guess because of pressure, they finally released a heavily edited version yesterday. And when I took a look at this 96, uh, excuse me, at this uh, 56 uh, second clip, I realized immediately that this, that not only is this clip edited, but it's uh, evident to me that this video may have very well been tampered with. Okay. And to support my suspicion, uh, General Nick Bezel uh, gave a interview. Uh-oh. Attorney, can you hear me? Uh-oh, look like his audio went out. Yeah. Sound like sound like he dropped, uh, but I'm pretty sure he'll get back on to finish that. Yeah, let me. Uh, uh, but, but, but I think what Brother Carl was going, mm -hmm. uh, which basically corroborates my thoughts, you know, and and so many other thoughts, you know, others who think, you know, in this manner, you know, uh, the day uh, this this video came out uh, after long anticipation. You know, like uh, uh, Brother Carl said, six, uh, four months. Hopefully, you know, of people waiting to see this. Uh oh, he's back. And uh, when okay. it came out, excuse me, I'm sorry, yeah, cousin, my dog. No, he he jumped back on. Let me let me get him to finish his oh, story, okay. brother. Well, he can finish. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry if it had cut off, but basically, um, uh, there's an article that was released yesterday. Um, uh, uh, where uh, the leader of the Elmer Geronimo Pratt uh, Gun Club spoke and um, the media, the local news station there, was able to um, obtain information that was, uh, I guess, documents that was uh, uh, issued by the Gulfport Police Department. And um, uh, their statement here uh, confirmed my suspicion that this, this video may have been tampered with. And I'm just going to read. This is a very clip, very quick um, 
a statement, but I was going to read this to you. Uh, and this was released yesterday by one of the local news stations out there in Mississippi. And it just says, the new video has been released of a Gulfport officer apparently shooting and killing teenager. Gulfport police have released a body cam, uh, body cam and dash cam video of the day Jaheem McMillan was shot and killed outside Family Dollar. The video came, uh, came nearly five months after the shooting. In the video, you can see Gulfport police officer Kenneth Nassour pull up on, uh, to the Family Dollar. Nassour then yells at Jaheem and starts to run, and finally shots were fired. Um, uh, uh, this article also goes on to say, uh, yeah, later in the video, Nassar says that he initially saw the teen carrying a gun, uh, uh, but after the shooting, the officer says he could not find the gun. Eventually, the officer in the video tells Nassar to turn off his body camera. Uh, that right there, let me, uh, that, that right there uh, lets me know that there, that, that whole case is tainted. Uh, I would not trust absolutely anything issued by the MBI or that department. And that lets me know that, that those officers were most certainly in violation of not only department policies, but state policies in the state of Mississippi that explicitly prohibits a, a peace officer or a uniformed officer from turning off his body camera while he is on duty. Uh, so, uh, um, uh, there was a body camera footage released of 56 seconds and it allegedly shows um, they edit out the version of where he was actually shot, and it actually cuts off, I would say, the last, I would say, seven seconds prior to the shooting. Uh, and uh, the video that they released, it just, you know, it's almost like they were trying to scrape something together to support their allegation. But based off of what I read here and based off of the statements that, that was clearly given by the officers on scene, uh, it lets me know that, that that evidence is not impartial and it's not transparent and I wouldn't trust it. And it just um, raises more questions than answers. Uh, so um, um, uh, at, from a legal standpoint, I know that uh, the Ben Crump law firm, uh, uh, as well as the uh, law offices of Warren Conway, they both acknowledge that they do plan to file a federal suit uh, uh, in connection with, this, uh, with, with Jaheem's death and file what's called a 1983 wrongful death claim. Uh, against the Gulfport Police Department, and uh, I plan to send an additional letter down to the Department of Justice uh, to ask them to immediately intervene and obtain the full unedited video, uh, because it's again, it's just evident that th the evidence that they produced was not transparent. The, the 56-second clip, clip video, uh, if this was so transparent, they could have released that from day one, because the video itself, if you didn't have a trained eye, it would almost look like this could have been a justifiable shooting. Uh, but then again, when you take a look at it and then you listen to the statements and then you, you realize that the most crucial moments were c cut off and edited, uh, that's what lets you know that this was, this was definitely an, uh, and, and most certainly a murder. Uh, in addition, there were two officers that responded to the scene initially. One officer explicitly stipulated in one report that he never saw a gun, uh, in, uh, the hands of Jaheem, which is why he never drew his weapon. And that was the officer that was actually driving the patrol car that was on the left side. Now, the passenger side officer, which is Officer Nassour, he claims he saw the gun. And then, again, you can hear from his own statement, he claims that after the shooting, he couldn't find the gun. But the video itself, it shows Jaheem running, uh, exiting the car, running to the left, then running back to the right, and then the video cuts off. Uh, and if that video was so transparent, the video appears as if he was running back to the right with a weapon in his hand. So if he shot him, they're saying he shot him as, as he shot Jaheem as he was running 
back towards the right, towards the front door of the family dollar. Uh, if all of that was true, then the weapon would have been within a very close proximity of Jaheen's body. Uh, I had the fortunate opportunity to speak with the store manager of the Family Dollar and multiple other witnesses there that all said that they never saw a weapon uh, in Jaheen's hands. Uh, 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 um, and uh, again, this whole thing just looks bizarre and suspicious. So uh, the next step is to uh, uh, um, uh, call upon the U.S. Department of Justice to come and investigate because it does appear that this was a predatory investigation, a tainted prosecution that brung the case before the grand jury. Uh, and um, this does look like it was murder. Attorney, what were they supposed to be there for? Suspected shoplifting? You had a family No, um, allegedly uh, they were they were responding to a 911 call uh, 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 that was allegedly placed by a citizen four miles away from this family dollar uh, that allegedly claims that there were young teenagers or young men brandishing firearms or pointing firearms outside of a window. Uh, we have yet to get any information or any uh, proof of this alleged call. We put in multiple public records requests. Of course, they've denied to release all of that. There's no uh, proof to confirm any of that, but their version is that they were responding uh, to a call, and this call was made by a citizen four miles away from the family dollar, uh, and that, that that's, they were looking for, I guess, a description of the vehicle that the boys were in. Uh, what doesn't make sense to me is how would they, how did they find them at a family dollar four miles away? Because they're claiming when the call came in, they're claiming that the boys were on a different street. And when I map quested and even went to the street, uh, it was evident again that it was four miles away from the um, four miles away from the family dollar. And uh, the video evidence shows that the boys pulled into the family dollar, and they were there for about a minute or two. They pulled in from one angle. And uh, the officers came in from the opposite direction. So if they were, what, what doesn't make sense to me is if this was so true about four miles away from the family dollar, why weren't they stopped there, number one? And why did the officers come from a completely different direction and just mysteriously pull up on this Kia? Are this Kia sold that these boys were driving? Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, unanswered questions. Um, there's still a lot of uh, unreleased documents that that sheds light as to what initially happened, and um, it's just a bunch of confusion at this point. Uh, t- tell me, what is the, the, uh, the? Does either one of you know the black population of Gulfport? Yes, it is predominantly black. Uh, is. Now, now, some cities have a higher, and actually, Commander Patrick can answer that better than me. Well, actually, Carl, you just said something that I thought was actually the opposite. I thought Gulfport was a predominantly predominantly white uh, city, but uh, I can see where it could be predominantly black. But I I wouldn't know the exact ratio, uh, Brother Elliot. I wouldn't know that. But I know that police force is predominantly white. Yeah, I so, know that for sure. Okay, that's what I was getting ready to say. Yeah. That was my next question. Now, what about the elected officials down there, the black ones? Are they saying anything in reference to this particular case? Uh, there is a total mm-hmm. of six council people that were elected. Uh, out of the six, two of them are African-American. Um, uh, uh, one is an African-American female by the name of Ella Holmes Hines, and the other one is an African-American male by the name of uh, uh, Councilman Casey. Uh, and uh, they have been 
up until this point, they have been extremely quiet as far as their public acknowledgement on where they stand with this. Now, I know that they have been in close contact with the family, and when I've communicated with them, all they can say is that because of their uh, elected position, uh, they're, they're uh, unable or they're prohibited from publicly speaking on where they stand on the matter until they have all of the facts. Uh, so that was the last that I heard. Now, um, um, there was a rumor that they were going to be scheduling a press conference. Um, that did not take place. Um, um, I know that the local NAACP did release a statement recently acknowledging that they were not in agreement with the, <laughs> with the grand jury not indicting the officer, and they were also concerned with the credibility of the evidence that was produced uh, to the public, uh, which is the video. Um, but uh, as far as like public acknowledgement from the elected officials, there, there has been very, very little, which has been all, very concerning. Brother Elliot, one of our uh, staff people just texted me and said that Gulfport, Mississippi is 52%, 52.7% white, 39.2% black. Okay. 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 Let me uh, let me see if some of the callers want to uh, ask question, comment on relation to any of these uh, things we've been talking about this evening. Let's go to four oh five. Four oh five. Four oh five. Are you there? Hey, greetings. Yeah, this is Sister Crystal. I'm just listening, and this has been a great uh, conversation. No, no, co- no questions, brother, uh, Sister Crystal. I don't. You know, I, I'm just listening, taking in information, and and, and just. Uh, getting some more facts because you know, Brother Patrick and I talk, okay. and uh, I just kind of know what's going on. But yeah, this is a great show just to make people aware of the reality of the country that we live in. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you. Let's go to uh, caller here. Caller, can you hear me? Let me put that back on hold. Let's go to uh, 601. 601, can you hear me? I'll put him on hold. Let's go to 215. 215. 215. Let's put them back on hold. It sounds like they walking down the street. Uh, Brother Patrick, Attorney Soto, listen, I, um, again, I want to thank you for, for your work, what you've been doing. I know you'll give us constant updates on what's going on. And uh, Brother Patrick, thir- thir- mm-hmm. Thursday night is, is still waiting on you, thir- Brother Patrick. We're going to get back up and going, uh, brother, brother Elliot, for sure, man. Oh, yeah, man. we just been out in the field, man, uh, trying to take care of some stuff. So, you know, so you know how it is, man. It's just uh, this stuff kind of layered, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, about to jump into bed now and get ready to uh, head down uh, to uh, Rankin County, Brandon, Mississippi, in the morning to speak to another hashtag. And for, well, not a hashtag because the brother actually survived. Uh, uh, I don't know if divine order would have it that he survived it, but uh, Michael Corey Jenkins, uh, the brother that was handcuffed and shot in the mouth. And, mm. uh, you know, suspicions uh, of Sodom, being Sodom, everything by the Rankin County Police Force down there. And uh, at the same time, we'll be doing that press conference. Uh, it, they'll be having the funeral of Brother Rasheem Carter 
uh, over there in uh, Brookhaven, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Brother Soto could correct me. But they'll be having this young brother's uh, funeral tomorrow. So we have a multiplicity of hashtags. And, you know, I just want to make sure that people understand, you know, the full gravity of what it is that we're dealing with. You know, this social order of white supremacy, you know, is, is, is something very serious. You know, and it's going to take some serious black people in every area of human activity. You know, that's why I employ, you know, the work that I do. You know, it's not the work that Sister Crystal do as an educator. The work that I do is not the work that Brother Soto do as legal counsel. The work that I do is not the work of these black politicians. You know, but it's going to take all of us to, you know, to gain some, some, some courage and some testicular fortitude to deal with the overtness of this this beast, man. This is a beast that we're dealing with, and I'm, and I'm, and, and that's why the elder, you know, when he explained that only three percent of our people participated in civil rights, you know, and and, and only point five percent of us stand and do what it is that we're doing. Well, that's a hell of a number, you know, to be dealing with the collectiveness of white supremacy. That's a deficient. That's very deficient. And that's how our people is going to be responsive uh, to these type things, you know. So. You know, it, it's painful getting up every day and trying to, uh, you know, exact the reality where our people can, you know, uh, walk outside and not uh, fear being killed or, or some other type of social injustice that we can suffer. So, you know, that's that's all, uh, you know, Brother Elliot, uh, Brother Richard, I appreciate you all just as much as y'all appreciate us, you know, because we got to get this out. We got to make sure that people understand and Maybe we can bring some more people to lend themselves to, you know, fighting, you know, this, 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 this word is called. But before you go, uh, uh, Brother Patrick, attorney, let me go to two, uh, two, one, two, New York. Hey, what's going on? It's Brother Maurice. Hey, sir. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And I'm glad to hear Brother Patrick's voice. I'm glad to hear that those brothers got back from uh, Colorado all right, because I thought, you know, as soon as you, you said he was going out there, I said, damn it, he's going to blow up the state. Because <laughs> I know <laughs> Brother you, Patrick Marie. is a serious brother. He's a serious brother and not, not to be played with. And so I appreciate the work that you're doing, my brother. I mean, I love you for it. Um, Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. I, I uh, And we got to get you back on the show so you can you can bring the people up to date here. Uh, you know, Ellie, yes, you saw some of the stuff that I sent out to you, and you, you see where white people are just can't help themselves. You know, with um, that one brother talking about he can't, he missed Aunt Jemima, the other brother talking about I'm gonna stop helping um, helping the uh, black people and stuff, and all of this nonsense, and and they, they are creating a narrative that they want, they can't. They, next thing you know, they'll have um. Uh, these singers singing, you know, all the old Negro spirituals on TV and stuff. Because these, these black people, again, have become capitalists. Like Brother Patrick was talking about, a lot of these black people care nothing about um, views instead of, instead of about issues. And that is where the problem is. I've had mm-hmm. people, you know, whole issue of what we should be doing. And I'm like, listen to me. Why are y'all sitting up here debating? They are acting. And we need to move no from doubt. that... that you need to move from that nonsense of debating a whole bunch of stuff and put the work in, you know, because um, I had a chance to speak to some young people, and I was telling them, again, 
like John Oliver Killing said, black people who live in a hand-to-mouth existence, but a hand-to-mouth existence is not going to do anything with this white supremacist society. We got to, mm. we got to act. We got to move. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud that you brothers doing what y'all doing, man. I feel sometimes like, well, we um, we're not doing enough, you know. But um, I I love to hear, like you said, you know, me and brother Ellie and them been working together for Ellie. It must be twenty. It, it got to be twenty years. Uh, well, when we started with the black yeah, farmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wow. Don't don't put no numbers on it, but <laughs> make you feel like it's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Make me feel like I'm as old as Richard. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 you know, this is it. This is the thing, brother. You know, that's that's why I want. I got to give you and you and Richard uh, your flowers also because when I first tell, start telling you about that situation out in Colorado, not a lot of people didn't know anything about it. Yeah, and I nobody did, knew I anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, so I, I credit you for uh, turning me on to that story, and then brother Patrick and them they take the ball and they they take it to another level. But you know the you know what the problem was? We was trying to find a way to reach out to them, and the thing was, there was so many people coming out of the woodworks, and then one person said the reason he ain't responding to people was because, like Brother Patrick said, there's people just trying to get a view count. They don't really give a damn about the issue, and um, especially when I was looking at the NAACP, I was like, what are they doing? Because I know that 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 that's not right. I know that it's not right. And then when you clarified it for me, I was like, yeah, so. I'm telling you, we're coming up to the end of Black History Month, and um, when we talk about Black resistance, uh, uh, is is the the theme for the month. I said, but I tell people the the but the theme for your life is Black freedom, and like Frederick Douglass says, he he doesn't matter. It didn't matter where you were. He said, I'm gonna go to fight where you're at. I'm gonna go to die where you at. And I love it to see that we have you know brothers here, the attorney and brother Patrick and the sister also, all of them. Of backing up that spirit because I know I know for a fact it's um scary sometimes when you're out there by yourself. We you gotta acknowledge it. I've had plenty of times where, you know, up here in New York, the police stopped me and they knew who I was, and I had to pull my press credentials out and they made me wait and they, you know, and um when they stopped me and all that stuff like that, and I'm saying to myself, you know, is this gonna be an issue here? Are we gonna have a problem? But the bottom line is I rather live a life where when I die, I'm not, I don't go to my grave ashamed. I lived a life like a man and I lived a life as a, as a black man, a proud black man. So again, you know, we have to, um, whatever, you know, um, I don't know if um, brother Patrick has put his information out there, but you got to let people know where they can hit you with some money or something. You, I mean, it's not my show, but you need to put some, give some information, contribute because some people can't go on the front lines but they certainly can go on the front lines of funding. So, you know, you, you, no the attorney, all of y'all, the no stuff that y'all are doing, put that information out so people know to support. I just want to say that I'm getting off now. I'm, I don't want, I don't want Richard to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your contribution, yeah. brother. Well, talk, I, to, talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Well, let, let, let me just say something to brother Maurice, if you don't mind, brother Rich. I, I really appreciate that Maurice, uh, uh, my brother. And, um, uh, because you, you, you're so right in that, Zach, man. And uh, when you're looking at the machinery of what it is that we're dealing with, you know, it, 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 it grieves your heart. You know, it's almost like we're fighting a, uh, we in a sword fight with a switch. You know what I'm saying? And, and we got to strengthen the, the, the rank and file of our attack. 
you know, and I and I tell Sister Crystal all the time, I say a lot of times it's just about our approach. You know, we're approaching this thing, you know, with our shoulders slumped, you know, our heads down and uh, scratching our head. We need to come with more confidence, you know what I'm saying? Like Marcus Garvey said, without confidence, we already defeated. I know what I'm going to do when I go down here tomorrow to this press conference. I know what I'm Well, I don't exactly know what I'm saying because I don't script none of this. I just let the ancestors use me the way that, you know, I feel like we should be used. But what I'm saying is that I know where I'm at. You know, I'm here in Mississippi, and these white people, you know, down here, uh, they deal, They have shown the nation the most overt racism that we have uh, seen, you know, in the history of this country. They're not apologetic about that, you know, and they and they, and they drunk with their own power. You know, these are the white people that tell the, 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 the federal white people to go to hell. This is how we do it, you know. And so it got to be a certain type of black resistance, uh, that uh gonna exact that freedom that uh brother Maurice is talking about. So uh we looking for them black people. And you're right, brother Maurice, you know, uh when we got ready to go out to Colorado, you know, and I knew it wasn't gonna be many people that were gonna be volunteering to go out there. But we sent them we we put them uh them uh cash apps out there. And people began to respond because I think a large number of our people are embarrassed because they are not, you know, doing the work and they know they they should be. So, you know, they may not uh, be on the front line, but they can send up some ammunition. So you, you're right. I do appreciate that uh, reminder. And if anybody wanted to donate to uh, us, you know, you can donate to us, uh, dollar sign B-L-M-M-S. That's dollar sign B-L-M-M-S. That's the Mississippi-based Black Liberation Movement. You can also donate to dollar sign Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. You know, because we are two succinct organizations that's operating simultaneously uh, and uh, trying to get the same thing done. So we will practice extreme legal, you know, and we don't don't just mean that, you know, by the gun. We mean we got extreme education program, we got extreme farming programs, and we got extreme legal people like what you hear on this phone with Brother Soto. So we got to have that type of commitment, man. I thank y'all for having us on every time. I really appreciate it. Um, so thank everybody. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> Talk to you soon, brothers. Take care now. All, All right. right. All right. Peace and power. All right. Richard, come to an end of another program, man. And uh, listen, I- I'm glad that those brothers doing what they're doing, man. Uh, boy, I-, I-, I can't even put it in words, man. I, I don't know of too many Come on, man. Richard, just say, for example, if we wanted to drive out to Colorado and help the Mallory's. You think we could get a group of men to go out there and sit in nine-degree weather with the wind chill, with not the provisions, basically to set up a camp? Richard, I got a a ton of respect for those men. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Because of the work. work. That's work. And then they went out there, you know, to help the brother on his, he said the distress, you could see the distress that uh, him and his wife are under. And I can imagine, man, and and how he said it was almost emotional when they was leaving. He got one ranch hand out there, he said, man, Native American, out there working along with him. You got men to go out there and help you get things together, uh, 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 reconnect fence line that had been torn down by these racists and 
and help you on your farm and because, you, you know, you didn't, didn't got behind. And afterwards, they don't say, hey, listen, uh, uh, you owe me so-and-so. It, it, come, Richard, that's brotherhood, man. I don't know how else to put it. Yes, it is. It's a, it's, it's a network and, and what we should be able to duplicate. Yes. Yes. Well, listen, uh, come to the end of another program, man. Uh, at least, uh, you know, we was able to get out some information. And, and I want to, in the upcoming programs, I want to kind of go back to that that uh, letter that uh, our ancestors from Boston sent to that president. Uh, right. In reference to the uh, slaying that went on, the, 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 the uh, massacre that went on in Wilmington. And they mentioned some other ones in that letter, Richard, that I'm not even familiar with in history. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. They what, went on a spree in different towns in that, at that moment. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know some of those things that the, the brothers mentioned in Boston. I didn't know what, you know. That just shows you, man, there's a lot of I've experienced here that we have no clue about. These other people know it. But unless we search for it, we don't have we don't know what has happened. Yeah. Before we leave tonight, just want to let you know uh, tomorrow, seven to nine, the elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James, and then Sunday, time for awakening is back from seven until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Sunday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon. Your children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware. I know, I know the things that they'll soon have to take care of.